I suppose I could sort of give up however you want to put it, rest on my laurels at any point in my life. But thus far, like hacking away further has led to on balance better things. And I think that that gives me a degree of optimism. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Frank Turner, a guest we interviewed seven years ago, and he's back for a second interview. He's an internationally charting, award-winning singer and songwriter and author. This episode starts with a discussion with Frank himself, followed by three short interviews with fans of his music, including Eric and I's friend Joe, Eric's son Jordan, and the One You Feed's own Jenny Gay. Hi, Frank. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am very good. It's great to have you back. I think we had you on about seven years ago, and you were kind enough to come on a very unknown show at that time and made me deeply happy. So I thank you for that, and I'm happy to have you back. <laughs> well, I'm honored to be a repeat guest. You know, we always start this off by reading the parable of the two wolves and see what you think about it. So I'll read it to you and sure. get your reaction for where you are today. So there's a grandparent talking with their grandchild, and they say, in life, there's two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandchild stops and thinks about it for a second, looks up at their grandparent and says, well, which one wins? And the grandparent says, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do. Well, I mean, I think that it's an interesting thing that I'm doing this again, because I vaguely remember us talking about this seven years ago. <laughs> and I think looking at my own kind of personal history, my own take on this is going to be, I suspect, different to what it was seven years ago. I mean, it may not be different rhetorically. That's the thing that I'm kind of interested in. But it's certainly like my life has changed pretty significantly, pretty dramatically in the last seven years. You know, I settled down a fair bit in my personal life. I met my wife seven years ago and I got married three years ago and I still drink alcohol, but I have given up other substances in my life. And that was a pretty serious effort. And it's one that certainly wasn't done <laughs> seven years ago, even though I might have claimed <laughs> as much at the time. 
time. So, you know, there was a fair amount of wolf feeding going on at the time. I mean, it's a powerful parable. It remains a powerful parable. I like the fact that it doesn't shy away from the fact that those two things exist inside all of us, you know, and always will. And almost to a degree, there's a part of me that thinks that if you just had one and not the other, that that would be sort of weirdly skewed somehow. Do you know what I mean? I think that there is a degree of balance in there somewhere. Yeah. But nevertheless, you know, I do actively attempt to feed the good wolf these days and probably do a much better job of it than I did seven years ago. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've had the substances battle myself and it's often that way. You make a little bit of progress, you slide back, you make a little bit of progress, and then hopefully you hit a point where it's a little more steady. So what I thought we might do for this conversation is we talk a lot on this show about values, about knowing who you are, what matters to you, and the person you want to be. Otherwise, you're just buffeted by the culture and conditioning and instinct. And so I thought maybe we'd explore some of your songs through that lens. And the first one I wanted to look at is going back a while, but it's eulogy. Mm. You said about eulogy that you did it to try and write a brief statement of purpose in your book on songwriting. Sure. You said that. Yeah, yeah. idea to me of trying, just trying your best feels so fundamental to me in a value sense. And it's always seemed to be in your work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things about that for me is that to talk around the houses for a second, here, I do that quite a lot. Uh, um, you know, if you kind of read about Mozart, you know, who's playing concertos by the time he's three, or indeed, you know, Bob Dylan, who pretty much just kind of dropped out of the sky, fully formed as an artist, <laughs> as far as I can tell. You know, and indeed every day one can hear, you know, young musicians, young artists, young writers, singers, performers, whatever they might be, who are just so kind of like fully formed from the off. And that's great, you know. Or indeed, you know, you could talk about young athletes who by definition are doing pretty well by time they're, <laughs> they're recently emerged into into life. I was just never one of those people. Like I could barely sing when I joined a band. I couldn't play. <laughs> and there was a fair degree of brute force involved in me learning how to do what I do. 
And within that, like one of the people who chimed with me from an early age was Henry Rollins, because Henry Rollins talks quite a lot about not being kind of particularly adept at anything when he first sort of emerged into the idea of art in his life. And I sympathize with that a lot. And I feel like I've had to kind of like shape who I am and what I do. I learned how to sing, kind of, <laughs> and I learned how to play the guitar Kinda. And my songwriting is for other people to judge, you know, and I figured out how to do what I do and to sort of fashion myself into something that I was comfortable with. And it's an ongoing process and it's full of wrong turns and missteps and all the rest of it. But you have to sort of keep the wheel turning somehow. Do you know what I mean? And that's where the trying thing comes in for me is that like, I suppose I could sort of give up however you want to put it, rest on my laurels at any point in my life. But thus far, like hacking away further has led to on balance better things. And I think that that gives me a degree of optimism. Yeah, you've talked before about how influenced you were by sort of the hardcore scene, Black Flag, the DIY ethos, right? I was 15 in 1985. And, you know, I formed a terrible punk band called the Walking Amphetamines. And we had no drums. So great name. Yeah, thank you. We went out and stole trash cans. And we were terrible. (laughs) But I was so inspired by that sort of idea, too, of just, you know, try, do your best. And, you know, I also come at it from, uh, and I've heard you say this before that you think there's like the protestant or puritan work ethic you know infused into that diy and being a midwesterner in (laughs) in america you know i kind of got like a double dose of it so that's just always been a big big value of mine and i just have loved that song from the moment i heard it well thank you that's very kind so maybe now let's jump to another value that comes much later in your career and is also something that is core to my values which is the song you wrote called Be More Kind Sure. They've started raising walls around the world now Like cackles raised upon a cornered cat On the borders in our heads between the things that can and can't be said Stop talking to each other There's something wrong with that So before you go out searching Don't decide what you will find Be more kind, my friends Try to be more kind Talk to me about kindness, the role that plays in your life, and why that's so important to you. Yeah, I guess I had a a moment of confluence, if you like, when I was writing that song. I mean, it's funny, actually, talking about this for the first time in a while with a degree more distance on it. I had a moment in time around 2013 when I sort of first came to like mainstream prominence in the UK, certainly, and to a lesser degree, but still a little in the States, of getting pretty badly burned by, well, broadly speaking, by that fact of exposure. You know, ultimately, one could say that the definition of mainstream is having your music exposed to something beyond a core audience, beyond a voluntary audience. You know, if you're an underground band, everybody who hears you is people who sort you out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And by definition, to sort of poke your head over the parapet, as it were, if you're on the radio often or whatever, your music is exposed to lots of people who don't necessarily like what you do. And that's fine. That's all, of course, that's just life. But it means that a fair number of people become aware of who you are and don't necessarily love you. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And of course, like you can't spend your day trying to advertise your existence to the world and then complain when not everybody thinks the sun shines out of your backside. But um, at the same time, like anybody involved in kind of 
promoting themselves in that way there's a degree of kind of performativeness to it there's a degree of kind of like a need for sort of love or whatever how you want to put it so it can be a difficult thing and then in retrospect i can say i've seen it happen to a lot of different people it was quite sharp for me i got quite burned it was exacerbated by the fact that this was in 2013 2014 a point in time when the kind of the negative sides of social media were less well understood i think is fair to say and like i think nowadays most people, including most artists, are sort of savvy enough to understand what a Twitter pylon is and that it's something that you should avoid or just not pay attention to and blah, blah, blah. And that wasn't so much the case in 2013. And anyway, so I had a bit of a rough time with all of this kind of thing for a couple of years. And then I also was reading my favorite poet was a man named Clive James. And Clive James had terminal cancer and he was given six months to live and lived for about six years, which is great. I mean, it's still a great sadness that he's left us, but he wrote a number of poems about mortality and about facing the end of his life, which he ended up having more time to think about than he had originally thought he might do. And he has a poem called Lesson de Tenebre, in which he says the lines, I should have been more kind. It is my fate to find this out, but find it out too late. And that landed with me so hard because I think the thing that I'd sort of started to kind of just about be able to kind of like extract from my own experiences was that ultimately regardless of what my political disagreements or social disagreements or whatever or musical disagreements might have been with everybody, the thing that bothered me was my personal sort of tenor of my behavior towards other people. And that ultimately the thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night are those moments when I was callous and unkind and cruel and all those kinds of things. And my God, do I have a catalog of those to choose from to wake up in the middle of the night and to agonize over. I think lots of us do. But with the beginnings of a tiny bit of age and wisdom, it was just kind of like that was apparent to me as the thing that was most important. And then here was this man who I regard as one of the most emotionally wise and brilliant wordsmiths of the 20th century facing his own end of his life and essentially saying the same thing, but even more forcefully and saying, you know, the only thing that really comes out of the wash in terms of our interactions with each other is the way that we treat the people around us. And that was hugely powerful for me. You know, it's funny because like I made an album called Be More Kind and I talked about that a lot for a period of time as you do with a record. And there were some people who got kind of annoyed at me for saying that, funnily enough, you know. <laughs> and ultimately, it's not a panacea. It doesn't solve the world's problems. And indeed, quite often, the hardest part of it is, is when people don't return that sentiment or that approach, you know. But nevertheless, even the occasions when I've been shouted at and castigated in public, but have maintained my own composure and my own sort of hopefully sense of kind of like humanity and generosity or whatever, I can look back on those with a better feeling than the times when I lost my shit and screamed at everybody, you know? Yep. Yep. I interviewed a guy last week named Father Gregory Boyle. He's done a lot of work in Los Angeles with gangs and an amazing man. And in his book, he had a line that said, just assume that compassion is the answer to every question, which I mean, again, that's a broad statement that I don't think we can say. Of course, it's not always, sure. but it's a pretty good orienting idea. Sure. One other thing is you were talking about Clive James and the end of life. I don't know if you know, I'm sure you're aware of the band Clem Snide, the songwriter Eve Barzillay. Aware of, but not super familiar with. As a person who loves songs, yeah. he wrote a song called Roger Ebert about the American film critic mm. as he was getting close to passing. Gorgeous, gorgeous song. I'd recommend it. I will investigate. Okay. Changing gears, and I'm talking at a million miles an hour because we don't have a ton of time, so get better. Mm. That's another, to me, when I look at values, right, there's this idea that there's always some place 
to go. Always some move to make internally, externally, that makes you or your life or the world just a little bit better. And I loved that song from the minute I heard it. And then as I was reading your book, I realized that one of the lines in it you got from the person who first turned me on to punk music, who was known at the time, Johnny Rotten. Tell me a little bit about that line and, and him. Johnny Rotten's is funny. I mean, this is an aside to what we're talking about, but what I like about Johnny Rotten is that he's still slightly beyond the pale for a lot of people now, and I think that that's incredible and absolutely as it should be. You know, I adore The Clash, don't get me wrong, but The Clash have Museum of London exhibitions about them, and they have supplements in The Guardian about their history as a band and blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're just, they're very much part of the arts establishment. And Johnny Rotten still, 40 plus years later, isn't really acceptable to some people, and I I think including some people, you know, in the art establishment. And I just think that's the most incredible testament to punk rock as an idea. It wasn't supposed to be acceptable. And all these people who kind of clutch their pearls slightly at Johnny Rotten, it's like, exactly. That's the <laughs> fucking point. Anyway, I met him at a festival in Italy in roughly 2014. And it was interesting because I, I do know people who've met him and have had a bad experience with the man. And it's not really my place to sort of have any comment on that. Like, I'm sure that there are people who've met me and have had a bad experience of me too. I hope not. I try not to have that be the case, but you never know. But I met him and he was really nice. And I asked him, which is a rare, rare thing for me. I asked him to sign a piece of paper for me and he wrote on it, may the road rise to meet you and may your enemies be defeated behind you. And I thought that that was beautiful. And I chivied it around a little bit and put it in a song, but very much with a nod in his direction because it struck me as a really powerful thing, you know. And Get Better as a Song was a song that I wrote to myself. It's very much a pep talk of a song, but it was a pep talk that I would knew that I needed and I wrote it to myself. And it's a wonderful thing for me when other people read and feel something into that. That's fantastic. But like the primary target for that song was myself. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Yeah, I mean, you said in your book on songwriting that, you know, you were sort of picturing yourself in this new, defiant, resilient state. And I love that idea. Sure. Just, you know, the resilience of coming through. There's lots of that on that record. Yeah. I mean, the title of the record, Positive Songs for Negative People, is so great. I think our second guest on the show was a fellow Englishman, Oliver Berkman, who wrote a book called The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Hate Positive Thinking. So that whole idea of sort of balancing those two things together, I've always loved. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right. So now let's move on to your latest record. Now I'm kind of pivoting away from the idea of values, but there's a gorgeous song on the record called A Wave Across the Bay about Scott Hutchinson from Frightened Rabbit who passed. And I wanted to ask you a question because a couple records back, again, on Positive Songs for Negative People, there was a song for another friend of yours who committed suicide and it's called A Song for Josh. Yeah. I noticed something about these songs. This may be me reading into this, so feel free to say, like, that's not at all it. But the song for Josh, a friend who committed suicide, there's a sentiment of, why didn't you call me? I failed you. There was a sentiment in there that felt more resistant to what had happened, or mm. I don't think angry is the word, right? And the song for Scott, these years later, is a much more peaceful and I don't want to use the word hopeful about a song on suicide, but the tone of those two songs to me is very different. What does that bring up in you when I say that? Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, I think the thing for me, there's a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is that they're about two different people. So that, of course, yep. the situation was different. Um, Scott was very vocal about his mental health, both in his art and as a person. And as crushing as it is to say, I was heartbroken when I heard that Scott had taken his own life, but I wouldn't say that I was surprised particularly. I'd always known that it was a thing that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping unlikely, but it was possible. My friend Josh, on the other hand, I had no idea that he had any sort of like leanings in that direction, how the best way to put it. That was truly shocking to me. And therefore, you know, my reaction to it was quite different. But also at the same time, I mean I sort of feel like I worked through a lot of things after Josh's passing, partly in that song and in conversations with friends and, and his family and whatever else. And, you know, that put me in a slightly different frame of mind, I suppose, about the second song. I, I didn't want to repeat the song, of course. But I, I think anger is a valid emotion about suicide. I think it's a totally valid emotion. Mm -hmm. And I did feel some of that around Scott as well. But I suppose the major sort of thing that I wanted to get across in the song A Wave Across the Bay for me was the feeling that, like, and this is the hardest thing that I know how to say about 
what happened to him or about anything really. But like Scott was my friend and he was a lovely man and he was a beautiful artist and he was a smart dude. And one of the things about Scott is that there was no part of what happened to him that was a mistake. Like he knew what he was doing. He took a decision and he went through with it. I wish he'd made a different decision, but he didn't. Uh, And ultimately there is a part of me that wants to find a way of respecting his autonomy yeah. and his sovereignty, you know? Um, and that's partly what that song is about. God damn, I miss you, man. It was just weeks before you went that we were speaking. I just wish that you had told me you were leaving before you walked your final mile. I'm not pissed off at you, man. Something in your soul that we could recognize You were one of us, but you worked out how you could survive At least for a while There must have been a moment Just before you hit the water When you were filled with a sense of peace and understanding With the wind in your hair and the light in your eyes As you realized you were finally escaping But somehow in that moment You miraculously miss it Like a wave across a bay Never breaking And that's how I like to think of you Ever falling, never landing Rolling slowly out to sea And always smiling You're always smiling You're a wave across a bay Never breaking You're a wave across a bay Never breaking Out to the I wish he was still here. God damn. But at the same time, ultimately, like I say, he didn't fuck up. He didn't slip. Do you know what I mean? He didn't make a mistake and do what he did. He knew exactly what he was doing and he did it. And that was his choice. And and there's a part of me that wants to kind of like almost shake his hand and say, okay, dude, you know, that was you. And that was your right to do that, which I do believe. Yeah. It was devastating for a lot of people, uh, myself included, but do any of us have the right to say to him, no, you're not allowed to do that or or whatever? I mean, I don't think so. I wanted us to, to part as friends. I mean, that sounds like a crazy thing to say, and it's not that I didn't want that for my friend Josh either, but I was much more in shock, essentially, I think, when I wrote Song for Josh would be the best way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I have found a friend after he tried to commit suicide, bleeding out. I mean, I've had a lot of people who've had mental health issues, and there is a point where you do realize some people are carrying such a heavy weight and there's only so much that you can do and you hope that it continues to get better. But but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Well, and ultimately, it's not really your right to tell somebody else how to feel about anything, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in both of those situations, for me, like, as I say, there's a desire on some level to respect that person's autonomy. Yep. Frank, thank you so much for coming on. Your music is always one of the ways that feeds my good wolf over the years. It's been so important to me, and it's great to see you again. That's very kind of you to say, and thank you very much for having me back again. It means I didn't screw it up too badly the first time around. (laughs) All right. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Up next is an interview with one of our good friends, Joe Russell.
Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be on. So Joe is one of my best friends, been a best friend of mine since, oh boy, 1988, probably. Lots of stories there, but we don't have time for all those. But I wanted to ask Joe to come on and share a little bit about Frank Turner, because he is someone else who loves him as much as I do. And I think he's got a couple songs that were on his mind. So first, uh, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, Eric, I'm really excited to talk about Frank. And I vividly remember when you had given me a mixed list of all these songs. I knew that you were into him. And I was like, okay, well, give me a list to introduce the world of Frank Turner to me. And I'm still very fond of that. Occasionally, I'll go back and just let that one roll. And I think of that time when you had introduced Frank to me. Yeah. So what's the first song you chose? It was the first song that I really said, oh my God, I love this music and what it draws me into. And it's Live Fast, Die Old. I used to act like none of this mattered And I used to say that I didn't care That we wouldn't be doing this forever But then the truth is that I was just scared the one that I first fell for. Instantly, I thought of my love for my closest friends, you and a few of our other best friends, and just reflecting on all the life challenges that we've gone through over decades and just how we just continue to push through them. And it's an emotional song for me. Hmm. What's interesting is the song that my son Jordan picked was a song that was also a song for him about friendship. I think a lot of Frank Turner songs do that well. They talk about the importance of friendship and how beautiful a thing it is. Yeah, and it's friendship and all of us realizing we're in it together to just, you know, get through this crazy world and acknowledging how hard it is for all of us and stick together, be together, and we will get through as well as we possibly can, a lot better than if we isolate ourselves. I think it addresses the need for fellowship quite a bit. Yep. Love and fellowship. Yep. Yeah. And I loved that song too. The first time I heard it, just the whole pretense of it. Like, I'm not going to live fast and die young. I'm going to live fast and die old. I'm not going to just settle for one of those things, you know, and obviously our speed of living has come way down or we would not make it to be, <laughs> Yeah, would not make it to be old. But I just loved that idea the first time I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's certainly a lifestyle of 
Frank Turner fans that probably had some really full lives at, <laughs> at a very young age <laughs> that hopefully they'll appreciate his sentiment around like, you know, it's been great and let's continue to have something great that's practical for kind of who we are in the here and now in our later lives. Yeah. It's not to say Frank Turner is just for old people. I think that obviously your, your son took a shine to him at a very young age. And I mentioned, I have a second song that I quite love that I can't help, but, you know, sometimes tear up. I especially teared up when I heard this song live for the first time, just trying to sing it. I was practically passing out because I was holding back so many tears and shouting at the same time. And it was losing days beside the general puzzlement of life just kind of passing by. The music has this punch of energy that just overwhelms me, uh, especially in that live setting. to deny how much impact it has when I hear it. That's definitely another song that I would have to say is probably my very close second favorite song. It was a second song that I know that I was like, oh, okay, now I'm just really falling in love with everything that's Frank Turner. And now you have a new favorite memory to go with that song. What's that? Didn't you say that you have a memory now of Chris making fun of it? Oh my God, yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, every time I hear this song, I obviously I have that, that initial impression and in, in what it means to me. But I'll never forget like playing it when we were all together, <laughs> and we were we were just listening to music. You know, we were like juggling all these speakers around in that listening room, and I had just chose it in like our real time queue of of songs that we were playing. And I looked over and I just saw Chris kind of like rolling his eyes at me, you know, just mocking it because he just doesn't like it. And now every time I hear it, not only do I have that sentimental experience of my original love for it, but I also remember when Chris was making fun of me. And I like that as kind of a bookmark in time of looking back at when we were together. <laughs> yeah, he does not care for Frank Turner's music in the way that you, Steve, and I do, which is why he is... It uh, must be driving him crazy <laughs> to do this. 
this edit. <laughs> That's why I'm going to interview like 60 people. He's going to just have to keep yeah. hearing why Frank Turner is so great. It's why he's not been invited to participate in this. Uh, but yes, he is having to edit it, which is sort of my, you know, my subtle pleasure. It's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you. This has been fun for me because I got Jordan on the show, my son for the first time, and now I've got you on for the first time. So this is great to get some of the people who mean the most to me. My pleasure too. I'm really happy to be on the show and love the podcast. Thank you so much, Eric. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Next, we have a short interview with a man you've actually heard about before on this show. It's Eric's son, Jordan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Dad. How's it going? <laughs> it's good. I'm so excited to have you on, to have my son on finally. People have heard about you a thousand times, so here you are in somewhat person. We recorded this in person, you and me in Columbus, and I, with all my years of audio experience, screwed it up. So now we are doing it with you at home in Asheville and me in Columbus. And just going to ask you, like I've asked some other people, to pick a Frank Turner song or two and then talk about what you love about it. Yeah. So I had a really hard time trying to narrow down my options to one song. I've been listening to Frank Turner kind of as long as I can remember. I don't really remember when you started listening to him, but kind of on my own was seventh grade for me, which is probably about 10 years ago now. So yeah, a lot of formative years through there that he's like sort of been <laughs> with me. So like picking one song has been hard, but there are definitely songs that like I connect to different time periods. So I try to pick one that I find myself connecting with currently. Mm -hmm. So I chose St. Christopher's Coming Home. Friday evening, barely even begins before my phone begins to ring with people asking where I am. 
can't suppress a smile We talk a while Chances are that I am far away And so I'm phased out of the plan And that's how I miss out On another night The kind of night when nothing really happens Yeah, but everything goes down And in the end I'm just a promise To pick up the phone When I'm in town Shadows on the corners of my days And I am old and I am settled In the place where I will stay When my wandering meanderings Have finally reached their end Yes, whatever else may be May my friends remember me La 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 The song's kind of about Being away from home Or being away from your friends but he sort of like puts like a slightly more positive spin on that. Like I'm feeling the pain of being away and like missing these people. But at the end of the day, like I know these people love me and I love these people. And my life currently, I'm sort of between a lot of places for parts of the year and on the go. So with certain friends, some of the year, and then I make new friends. My job is like a lot of coming and going. So I meet people for a few months, get really close with them, and then potentially never see them again. So those have been a lot of like what I've been experiencing lately. So I've been like resonating with that song. And there's like a a specific line in that song that I really like. Something along the lines of, he's like talking about missing out and missing out on the kind of night where like nothing's happening, but everything goes down, mm-hmm. something like that. Those are my like favorite times that I feel like I really miss. Like you think you would miss like a big birthday party or a holiday, but it's sort of those casual nights where like a new inside joke is made or like a new favorite board game is found. Those are the moments you really miss. And that's what I like about Frank Turner is like, I've heard him in interviews say that he enjoys songs where it feels like the song has like expressed something that he's always known, just hasn't been able to put in words. And I feel like, This song does that for me as well as a lot of his other music. Yeah, you do have a life that has a lot of coming and going, and that is difficult on friendship, and yet you've maintained a couple core groups of friends for quite some time now. Yeah, yeah, which is true. And then it's been interesting to see, like, because I had my first big move to college, which was moving away from, like, the friend group that I've had forever. Yeah, it's just been interesting to see all of those friends, and then now the friends that I made, like, in college and a little bit after college, and how that distance and time away like morphs and change things not necessarily bad but it just makes things different and creates new dynamics and stuff like that yeah one of the other people i interviewed for this is joe russell who i have been friends with since i was 18 so that is a long time ago i don't know 30 some years probably something like that but i would say all but four years of that two years of that three years of that maybe He's been somewhere else, New York or California, and we've still maintained a friendship all this time. And we still text, you know, nearly every day. Yeah. And so that song, I went back and listened to it after you selected it, because it's not one that I actually knew that well and um, really resonated with also. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I hope to have you on again. Thanks. Me too. All right. Bye. Bye. Closing out the episode, here's the One You Feed's own Jenny Gay. And now, a voice you've heard before. This is Ginny. Hello, everybody. And I'm going to ask her the same question. Tell me about a Frank Turner song that you love and why you love it. I mean, I had to really put some thought into this to pick just one, honestly, because so many of his songs really, um, what's the word? They just 
stir something inside of me. And the theme that I connect back to time and time again with Frank Turner is this spirit of life is hard and it can feel really awful and we can get into some very dark places. And then we can call on friends, we can call on our inner strength, and we can rally. You know, we can will ourselves to make the choice to continue on, you know, despite the hardness and that it gets better. And so the song that kind of captures all of that in the most powerful way for me is The Next Storm. And I think it's the music and the lyrics that come together to like just really conjure up that, okay, I can do this. I can choose to continue on and it's going to get better. The lyrics are, we had a difficult winter. We had a rough few months. When the storms came in off the coast, it felt like they broke everything on us at once. And it's easy enough to talk about Blitz Spirit when you're not holding the roof up and knee deep in it. And the pictures and the papers get ruined by the rain. And we wondered if they'd ever get dry again. But I don't want to spend the whole of my life indoors, laying low and waiting on the next storm. I don't want to spend the whole of my life inside. I want to step out and face the sunshine. So it helps me to connect to that point when, you know, even though it's hard, we just have to choose to step forward and step out and turn our face towards as cheesy as I feel like, as I say it now, the sunshine, you know, I just love it. So I hope as you hear a bit of it, you love it too.
If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a monthly donation to support the One You Feed podcast. When you join our membership community with this monthly pledge, you get lots of exclusive members-only benefits. It's our way of saying thank you for your support. Now, we are so grateful for the members of our community. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without their support, and we don't take a single dollar for granted. To learn more, make a donation at any level, and become a member of the One You Feed community, go to oneyoufeed.net slash join. The One You Feed podcast would like to sincerely thank our sponsors for supporting the show. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.